when you have small amounts of fluid with large amounts of air moving over top of it, you do get a gurgling sound. But I liken it to a situation that we all know very well, and that is the sound of straw makes when you're sucking through the straw and your glass is not full, but mostly empty, right? You don't hear gurgling uh, until that glass is almost completely empty. And so I always tell families the noise they're hearing is not coming from huge amounts of fluid in the lungs. It's coming from small amounts of fluid with large amounts of air blowing over top. Welcome to the With You at Every Step podcast. We address your healthcare questions and help you navigate life's challenges. Our guests share their expertise and real world advice related to care for older adults, grief and healing, and pregnancy and parenting. Every Step is a nonprofit healthcare and human services organization offering dozens of programs that are there when people need us most. Learn more about our free and low cost services at everystep.org. Thank you for listening. Here is our host, Holly Carver Kim. Welcome to With You at Every Step. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Tom Mosier, the Chief Medical Officer for Every Step. And uh, welcome to the show again, Dr. Tom. Well, thanks for having me. We have covered a lot of topics um, in relation to hospice care and end-of-life issues. And one that you suggested you get a lot of questions about, which I have questions about it. So it like spurred my my thinking to be like, yeah, I do have questions about that. And that is uh, what a lot of people call a death rattle. Um, the sound that uh, so some people hear towards the end of life. And there's a lot of uh, like, okay, that signals within the next hour. Or, I mean, there's a lot of things people say about that sound. So I thought, um, let's talk about that a little bit. What exactly is a death rattle? And is that the right term to call it? You know, it is the term that is used pretty commonly. I always kind of cringe when I hear it because it sounds so, um, oh, crass or barbaric, you know, to, yeah. to, to term it that. But definitely at, at end of life, it is not necessarily uncommon to have airway noise. And that's usually the term, you know, that it's it's a, it's the softer way of saying it. But um, and uh, and. It happens for a, a litany of different reasons. Um, and so, and that's something that probably is, I would say, a pretty common topic to talk about with families. Because if you don't have some understanding that there might be some secretions or trouble swallowing or some airway noise, oftentimes it's misconstrued as something that's really, really bad and unpleasant for their loved one. Yes. Um, and words like suffocation or drowning. And those kinds of things can really sear uh, into somebody's mind and leave um, a lasting impression that's pretty distressing uh, for families um, if they don't have an understanding of what it is and what it isn't beforehand. Yes. And that, and that was my first question is that it is uh, disconcerting to hear and you think um, I mean, my thought was when I experienced that with a loved one is, well, they're having trouble breathing. Um, is there something you can do to help them breathe better? But is that the case? Does it have anything to do with the ability to breathe? No, it does not. So we've done a lot of studies over time and it, as a hospice industry. 
for years and years when people would have airway noise or gurgling or death rattle, whichever you'd want to refer to that, we would use medications to try to dry up their mouth or saliva production. And, you know, ultimately over time, what we found is those medications have quite a bit of potential to increase restlessness and confusion. They weren't necessarily um, adding to comfort. In fact, if anything, sometimes we were making uh, bigger problems than what we were solving. And so over time, we have really found that it isn't something that's distressing to the patient. Where it, it is most distressing is to those who are at the bedside, families and caregivers. It's 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 a somewhat obnoxious noise sometimes. And again, somewhat distressing because it leaves a lot to the eye of the beholder and the imagination as to what's causing it. So you think of things like they're having trouble breathing, their lungs are filling up with fluid, they're literally maybe drowning. And that's a very scary prospect. Um, because the prospect of suffocation, which is a loaded word, uh, is horrible to think about for anybody. Right. 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 So, but what, what it actually is, is that as one is going through the, the transitions, um, that the body is undergoing as it is shutting down or in the process of dying, we often lose the uh, gag reflex or the ability to swallow um, our normal saliva well. And on top of that, then, when your gag reflex and your swallow is impaired, when we put things in the mouth, like medications, we can sometimes um, put them in a challenging position where they're having trouble handling those things. Most people, as they are in that process um, of dying, end up having a problem that they find bothersome, and that is patients often tell us, my mouth is so very dry. And so in general, it is it normal to have high saliva production when one is dying. Most of the time, one's mouth is dry for various reasons medications that we use commonly are pretty drying. Um, a lot of times people are eating and drinking as well. So they're relatively dry um, and they don't have as much saliva production because of that. And then also um, people tend to, um, to mouth breathe quite a bit, which dries their mouth out quite a bit and gets kind of pasty or tacky. Like sometimes we wake up in the morning with, so dry mouth is really, the bigger issue. And what's interesting is that even patients with that problem may have secretions. And so when we see that, I know it's not coming from saliva. I know that it's probably coming from the things that we are putting in their mouth. And a lot of times iatrogenically or something that we ourselves are um, causing, it's because of medications. So we use a lot of medications, um, that oftentimes are liquid. And there's a lot of myths and fallacies about those medications. Myths and fallacies that, well, if we just give them under the tongue, they'll get absorbed there and it won't be an issue. But the reality is there's really not very many medications that we have in our arsenal in all of medicine that get absorbed well under the tongue, including morphine. So the big one that's out there, industry-wide, it's something we battle in the industry a lot, is changing that myth and misperception that morphine is absorbed underneath the tongue. 
it is actually not absorbed well at all under the tongue. And so ultimately, um, eventually as you put more and more medications in someone's mouth, they can uh, sometimes get those into their airway. Um, and when you have small amounts of fluid with large amounts of air moving over top of it, you do get a gurgling sound. But I liken it to a situation that we all know very well, and that is the sound of straw makes when you're sucking through the straw and your glass is not full, uh -huh. but mostly empty, right? Yeah. You don't hear gurgling uh, until that glass is almost completely empty. And so I always tell families the noise they're hearing is not coming from huge amounts of fluid in the lungs. It's coming from small amounts of fluid with large amounts of air blowing over top. And we actually have a little space just in the back of the voice box where fluid can get trapped. And um, that space is, you know, commonly, you know, if you're ever eating a carrot and you start laughing and then it, it gets stuck and it drives you nuts for a couple of days, that's probably where it's stuck. That, that area can hold a little bit of fluid and as air blows over top of it, it, it gurgles and it sounds really obnoxious. But what's interesting is that patients are very peaceful. And I've had plenty of patients who are having that gurgling as they're breathing and they're awake enough to answer questions. And I'll ask them if it's bothering them. And most every time they are wondering what I'm asking about because they don't even notice it. But it is something that definitely the the onlooker who comes into the room would notice because it certainly isn't a normal sound that we're used to hearing every day. So most of the time when we're hearing that sound, the first thing we're doing is trying to assess whether it is something that we can curve by changing how we're giving medications, whether changing the frequency, changing the volume of that medication by maybe a more concentrated volume or concentrated drug. And then also certainly looking for situations of somebody who maybe has too much saliva production. If it's a saliva production issue and it's bothersome to the patient, we can certainly consider medications to dry up saliva production, but we definitely also want to consider the risks of side effects. And so um, we're, we're somewhat judicious in the medications we use because we definitely don't like to cause restlessness and confusion. But um, occasionally it is necessary to use those medicines. And even when we use them effectively, it can take a little bit of time before that sound goes away because you need to allow enough air to pass over that little bit of fluid that it evaporates and dries it. And then once it dries, uh, you don't add to it anymore. That's, that's a great explanation, especially with the straw. I completely understand that. It makes sense to me. Um, so, you know, early on here, I mentioned uh, old wives' tales about, you know, when you hear the death rattle, death is imminent or whatever it might be. What are some of these kind of myths or fallacies that you've you've run into over the years? Yeah, well, it is, it is true that when we hear uh, things like terminal secretions, it does sometimes tip us off as to where they are in their journey uh, towards end of life or where they are in that transitional phase. Certainly there are changes that we expect to see in, in most people. Changes in skin temperature and color. Modeling is a term that 
uh, is referred to a lot um, when patient skin looks real blotchy like a newborn baby's looks. In a newborn baby, their, their circulatory system is coming online, and at end of life, it's transitioning offline. And, and so we see those same modeling features. So certainly uh, secretions um, and the lack of ability to have that gag and that swallow is a sign that somebody is getting closer in their last hours to a couple of days of life, most likely. But, uh, that, then that wasn't an old wives' tale. It really is true. Um, you've talked a little bit about, uh, in some cases, using a medication to dry up some of those secretions. Is there anything you can do before that begins to uh, prevent it from happening? Yeah, you know, a lot of times when we see that somebody is having trouble swallowing, particularly if right after they drink or eat, they have an irritating cough, or maybe it's a pretty pronounced cough, that can give you a sense that their swallow is getting a little sloppy that their muscles of swallowing are getting a little weak and impaired and the coordination of swallow is a little um, sloppy. And and ultimately that can give us a heads up that, boy, we probably need to look at the medication regimen and how they're doing and how they're taking the pills and if we need to, to change that. In some patients who are having a lot of what we call aspiration of things that they swallow into their airway, we literally will consider changing them to non-oral routes of medications. And all, you know, ways to do that, certainly if they have uh, IV access or a port or um, sometimes even just giving medications under the skin, like we might give an insulin shot called a subcutaneous route is an option. Another device that we have that is that a real game changer um, for this problem is called a Macy rectal catheter. And it was developed by um, a hospice nurse who came up with a brilliant idea uh, for a catheter that uh, a patient can't feel, that, um, that is very easy to use, that literally um, is accessible right on top of their tummy where you don't even have to um, uh, work around their rectum and you can give medications through it with very reliable and quick onset of action. Um, so ultimately, when people are really having trouble, a Macy rectal catheter is an option. And most of the time, it's a little bit, uh, the minute you say the word, most people kind of cringe. But I tell you what, in those uh, patients and families who ultimately say, let's try it, they, they want to uh, give Brad Macy, who developed it, a big old hug because it is a really effective device that helps get great symptom control with great dignity and comfort, even though in first mind's eye, one might think it, it might not do that. Yeah, that's Those hospice nurses, hats off to them again. They're amazing. <laughs> um, Absolutely. You know, a question just popped in my mind as, as you were uh, talking about the medications and how they are delivered. When someone is near the end of life and you're hearing that that aspiration or the death rattle, as we were calling it, um, what kind of medications are they still receiving? Because, you know, in a novice's mind, you think, well, they're about to pass away. Why are we giving them more medication? Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, first of all, it's a misnomer that once somebody comes out of hospice, they need to stop all their medications, right? Because our goal in hospice 
is not that they die. Our goal is that they live well until they die naturally of their disease. And so ultimately to that end, we want to continue to aggressively treat any health conditions they have, including their diabetes and their their lung disease, their COPD, or um, to treat their heart disease, if they have heart failure, to treat their kidney disease, all of those things. So we want to use medications when we feel like those medications will add value to quality of life and even longevity of life. Because just because somebody is terminal doesn't mean they're ready to just throw in the towel. They still might have some good living to do until they die. And so ultimately, our job is to make sure that we have a great uh, eye and, and line of sight on which medications are um, adding value and which medications maybe need to be reevaluated for either reduction or discontinuation. So there are definitely common medications that we see that over time we start to pare down because they might actually cause more problems than they solve as the body changes. But ultimately, um, it is, it's uncommon for people to just be on one medication of morphine or something like that. And, and interestingly, as somebody is declining, we will then start to you know, or continue to pare down medications. If somebody loses their swallow, that's usually a time that we start to really look at, okay, benefits versus burden of this medication. And again, that's a that's not a conversation that is a um a decision that I'm gonna make. That's a that's a conversation where I'm gonna talk with family and the patient and I'm gonna educate them about the pros and cons and then let them guide me as to what they would like me to do. That's a great, great explanation of hospice in a nutshell, and also a comfort, I think, to uh, patients and their families as they go through the hospice care of of knowing that it's about living. It's not about waiting for someone to pass away. So we always want to remember that when we're talking about hospice. Uh, Dr. Tom Mosier, he's the chief medical officer for Every Step and an expert in hospice care. And thanks again for being on the show, Dr. Mosier. Thank you so much, Polly. Uh, that's the show. Now, if you need more information about hospice care or any any uh, any issue that you would like an expert to help you with, you can find us online at everystep.org slash care, everystep.org slash care, C-A-R-E, and that will uh, get you to a confidential form, takes a second to fill out, and somebody will give you a call back with uh, information about what you need. That is with you at every step. And thanks again for tuning in. I'm Polly Carver-Kim.